Reading, short and deep. Hi, I'm Jesse, and I'm Eric. And today we're reading short and deep. A dream from One Thousand and One Nights. Uh, also, an Arabian Nights Entertainment. I'm not sure. This is another title. We've got the translation by William Lane from 1840. I had to dig around to find this particular entry in this very interesting volume, giant volumes, I guess. Um, but I, I read about it, and I was, ooh, i got to find that story. And I, I eventually tracked it down in this 1840 volume. Um, and then I, I read it, and I said, ooh, I love this story. And then I sent it to Eric. And then subsequently, just... As so happens, I found uh, an 1888 ripoff of this um, that claims it's from England of 300 years ago. Uh, <laughs> and it's not as well written, uh, but it's basically the same story. And then uh, just this morning in the shower, I was thinking about the story and I thought, oh, you know, I may have read uh, Ted Chang's take on this, too. So maybe we'll talk a little bit about that after I get you to read it to me and everybody hmm. else. Um, well, um, okay. I, I just have to ask you, though, why were you particularly interested in this translation? I mean, the most famous translation in English uh, of the Arabian Nights is Richard Burton's. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, wasn't, it wasn't that I didn't. Uh, want Richard Burton's. I, I don't know that much about him other than, you know, his adventures. Um, yeah. But um, what I did was I, I started looking at translations and volumes that were available. And they're all different. They all have different um, contents. And <laughs> some of them have more and some of them have less. Some of them have illustrations. This one has a tiny illustration. Um and this is the only one I found that I could find based on where people were saying it was in the book. So uh. it, it, it's actually, it's, it's two pages in the version we have on the website. Um, it's spread over two pages, but it's really a one-page story. And right. it's sandwiched in between other things. In fact, it says uh, on the top of our, our uh, first page, notes to chapter 16. So it's it's actually not even like and there's a star right uh on the title which is a dream and it says and if you go down and look at the star it says this anecdote is related by and then there's a tiny little name that says El is Baki reign of El Mamun and I'm like I don't know who any of these people are um so I'm relying on someone else telling me that this thing even exists but I also remembered before I found where to find it in the book uh, mm -hmm. or the books is that um, this, I believe, is mentioned in a translation by Jorge Luis Borges. Uh, uh, sorry, not a translation. Uh, yeah, it's a translation of Borges, but it's in a translation of one of his short stories where he relates that inside of the uh, Thousand and One Nights is a story about uh, th the story itself. And I think that he's sort of mixing, or maybe that story exists as well, he's mixing uh, up the idea, which is something he does. Um, but basically it's a meta story. 
Um, and and th- that story is uh, The Garden of Forking Paths, um, which has a circular book involved, which means you can't know where the start is. But if, if you're at the center of a cir- circular book, you're in the spine. <laughs> That's true. This, this is very Borgesian. Um, yes. In fact, I did find uh, a very loose translation of this story. Um, separately published by Borges, called Historia de los dos que soñaron. Right. Soñaron. Um, and I say it's a loose translation, but, you know, I don't know because I don't read Arabic. Right. It certainly doesn't come, it's certainly very loose if we assume that the translation we're reading is close to the Arabic. But it may be that this is a loose translation as far as I could tell. And the, the, the Spanish is closer. But one thing that is crucial, I will actually want to mention about that translation as we get further in. So thanks for letting me know what got you to this one mm-hmm. and why we're here and how it fits with lots of other things like Borges. And uh, by the way, Kafka, too, has a, a fable called A Dream. It's, a, it's an attractive concept for a lot of fabulists. It is. Um, So let me read then, okay? Mm -hmm. A dream. It is related also that a man of Baghdad was possessed of ample riches and great wealth, but his wealth passed away and his state changed and he became utterly destitute and could not obtain his sustenance save by laborious exertion. And he slept one night overwhelmed and oppressed and saw in his sleep a person who said to him, Verily, thy fortune is in Cairo, therefore seek it and repair to it. So he journeyed to Cairo, and when he arrived there, the evening overtook him, and he slept in a mosque. Now there was adjacent to the mosque a house, and as God, whose name be exalted, had decreed a party of robbers entered the mosque and thence passed to that house, and the people of that house, awakening at the disturbance occasioned by the robbers, raised cries, whereupon the wali came to their aid with his followers, and the robbers fled. The wali then entered the mosque and found the man of Baghdad sleeping there, so he laid hold upon him and inflicted upon him a painful beating with makra'az until he was at the point of death and imprisoned him. And he remained three days in the prison, after which the wali caused him to be brought and said to him, From what country art thou? He answered, From Baghdad. And what affair, said the wali, was the cause of thy coming to Cairo? He answered, I saw in my sleep a person who said to me, Verily, thy fortune is in Cairo, therefore repair to it. And when I came to Cairo, I found the fortune of which he told me to be those blows of the Mikra'as that I have received from thee. And upon this, the Wali laughed so that his grinders appeared and said to him, Oh, thou of little sense, I saw three times in my sleep. A person who said to me, verily, a house in Baghdad in such a district and of such a description hath in its court a garden at the lower end of which is a fountain wherein is wealth of great amount. Therefore, repair to it and take it. But I went not. And thou, through the smallness of thy sense, hast journeyed from city to city on account of a thing thou hast seen in sleep when it was only an effect of confused dreams. Then he gave him some money and said to him, help thyself with this to return to thy city. So he took it and returned to Baghdad. 
Now the house which the Wali had described in Baghdad was the house of that man. Therefore, when he arrived at his abode, he dug beneath the fountain and beheld abundant wealth. Thus God enriched and sustained him. And this was a wonderful coincidence. <laughs> okay. So, it, so it's an anecdote, right? Um, well. But what does it mean, Eric? <laughs> well, I have a couple of uh, thoughts about that, but perhaps that was rhetorical and you wanted to give me your sense of things. Uh, absolutely. Um, it is rhetorical, but I also I do not know the answer. Um, ah. But I do know that it ha it resonates deeply within me. Um, you know, I uh, I'm I'm quite a prodigious dreamer. I'm not going around bragging every day about this fact, but um, I remember my dreams very well. Usually, often, mm -hmm. um, sometimes I write them down. Sometimes multiple dreams a night, um, and I I can have some amazing experiences within them. One experience that I do not think I've ever had is upon relating a dream to someone else they had the same dream um <laughs> the internet of dreams is not a thing i wish it was um and this is kind of like that like these two people are connected through their their dream world through the dreamlands and uh uh we've done a lot of podcasts about dreams there's one we did called life of dreams it's because i'm very interested in dreams and as i was saying at the beginning i i just so happened to come across an 1888 story that's basically a ripoff of this one um <laughs> it's about a tinker who lives in a small market town uh north of london and who uh walks for three days uh after uh, being told that he will make his fortune uh, if he stands on a bridge in London for three days. Um, or uh, if he stands on a bridge in London. So he walks to London and he gets to the bridge and the first day he stands there, nothing. Stays in a motel or hotel for a night. Uh, comes back the next day, stands on the bridge. And he does that for three days and uh, in over the course of these three days, someone... Uh, sees him standing on the bridge every day as he commutes to work or whatever. And he stops on the third day and says, I, I always see you stopping on this bridge. Why are you doing that? And he says, well, I was told uh, in a dream that I would find my fortune if I stood on this bridge. And the guy says, that's funny. <laughs> <laughs> and, of course, it's because they had the same dream. Um, there's right. no beating involved. Um, but... Uh, it, it, it's authenticated. This story is authenticated with, if you go to this small market town, you will find a, uh, an image of this tinker in a church window with his dog. And it's like, it's, 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 um, along with a, it's in a collection of other, uh, dreams, stories, famous dreams by people from 2000 years ago that are recorded in Pliny and such. Um, but I just thought it was a, a, a very interesting coincidence that uh, this essentially the same story is repeated uh, 40 years later after this publication. Um, and told, we're told that it's a, an English story from 300 years ago, right? So somebody's right. wrong, I think. Or it could be <laughs> the alternative, Eric. 
So that's one of the reasons I'm sort of obsessed with it is this idea of the Internet of Dreams being a real thing. And well, there are, there is, sorry, I, I just saying like maybe that's stories, right? Like I read a story when I'm a little kid. Um, my grandmother reads it to me. My parents read me a story, and then I read that story to children uh, in my old age and their young age, and infects their their day thoughts and perhaps their night thoughts so it is a kind of and there, internet and of there dreams. are worldwide tropes i mean you're, sure. you're describing the method of transmission but you know we can find cinderella oid stories mm-hmm. um in virtually every culture you know, it's just you know it any culture every, every culture that has class consciousness has a Cinderella-type story. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's a boy, as in Juan Fanita in Mexico. Usually it's a girl, because usually it's the girls who are in the unpowerful position and need to be able to rise, but it's everywhere. Uh, it, it dreams, too. Uh, clearly, it's a universal human experience. Well, I don't know. I haven't talked to everybody. <laughs> but everyone <laughs> I've ever talked to has said that, yes. I don't think that this story... Well, I don't know what this story is essentially about, but I have the feeling that it is, in fact, about faith. And it's Mm. about the role of faith in the life of uh, the world. Um, Let me me try that on you. Um, I asked myself when I first read this, why are there robbers? I mean, in the story you just told about the English English, uh, analog, there are no robbers. You pointed that out yourself. Mm -hmm. Why are there robbers here? Mm-hmm. And it seems to me that we understand from the very first sentence, what is the relationship between being good, that is socially good, and money. It is related also that a man of Baghdad was possessed of ample riches and great wealth, but his wealth passed away and his state changed, and he became utterly destitute and could not obtain his sustenance save by laborious exertion. Well, on rereading, you know, there is another way to obtain sustenance. You can steal. Mm-hmm. There is, in fact, right? There are robbers in this story. Another way to obtain sustenance is to beg. He goes and sleeps in the mosque. Traditionally, mosques are open to all in need. It's a place to find refuge, food, you know, even a stranger in the city, a place to sleep. So there are at least three ways one can obtain sustenance. One of them is in fact, what fails in the story, the robbers don't make it. But the faithful man who has taken advantage of the the large the charity of the faithful, he suffers and is beaten by the wali. Now, a wali is a it has a number of meanings, but uh, it, one of which is the governor of an Arabic province. Um, it can also mean a protector. Maybe it's like a night watchman. Mm-hmm. I don't know what Wally means in this case, but he runs in with his um, his followers. So he's some kind of official, but he's not, I think, the guy who runs the mosque. He's not an imam. Or, right? He comes in and finds a man sleeping and nonetheless has him beaten and arrests him. He's fake sleeping. He's running the robbers, right? That's the exactly. idea. Exactly. So the Wally is, has decided that the man is, in fact, faking it. So he has three days that he, he suffers in prison, like Jesus in the mm. cave. 
and like Jesus in the cave, um, he is resurrected. I mentioned Jesus in part because the Arabian Nights are written around a thousand uh, AD, you know, uh, in the Common Era, mm-hmm. and Christianity. I mean, the, the Old Testament and the New Testament are behind um, the Quran, right? So mm-hmm. Islam takes these as source books. They know the story. This guy has a dream, and he believes the dream. And rather than resorting to to crime to sustain himself, he follows the dream. The Wally who beats him when he does not, in fact, deserve it, also had a dream. But he didn't believe the dream. He relates the dream and laughingly says, okay, you know, go back home. And here's some money. And maybe he believes him when he talks to him. He has a a Baghdad accent, not a Kyrene accent. (laughs) I don't know. Yeah. So the the rich man, formerly rich man, goes home and finds a fountain. What wonderful symbolism. Digs under it. What wonderful symbolism. And just as he emerges from prison after three days, great wealth emerges from his own fountain. Now, how he didn't know that he had great wealth in his own fountain, (laughs) I don't know. Mm -hmm. But someone else was the instrument to give him back great wealth. One of the, the analogs that I see for this story is the book of Job. Okay. There is no reason given for the wealthy man to have lost all that he possesses. It's just, but his wealth passed away. Mm-hmm. But by com- remaining faithful, remaining obedient, and the word Islam, after all, means submission. Mm-hmm. By remaining faithful and remaining obedient, he, in fact, comes out of the mosque into the hands of someone whose dream will give him back all that he has lost. So one of the reasons that I think that this is a uh, a story that keeps me at least thinking is the same reason that the book of Job keeps me thinking. Well, wait a minute. If God is going to give you back all of this stuff, then it's just a test. Why is God doing this to you? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and in the book of Job, the answer is there's some Manichaean contest going on between mm-hmm. God and Satan. But here we don't get any of that. So I ask, what do we get here? And what I see is a contrast between people who are truly faithful, people of spirit, like the rich man who happens to be rich, but is in fact a man who trusts in visions that are visited upon him, and someone who merely has earthly power. There's a contrast here between the secular and the sacred. And in the end, the sacred wins. And that is um, signified by the the regaining of wealth. Now, you might say, well, wait a minute, you know, you should be poor, you should be humble, give your wealth away. Um, you know, the saint who, uh, St. Jerome divides his cloak in half and gives it to the poor man. You know, I mean, yes, all of that is so. But there's another tradition, a more modern one in the Christian uh, world, and that is of Calvinism. 
those who are good on earth will be rewarded on earth. Right? The the Puritans who came to the United to what became the United States, Puritans who came to North America, believed that their wealth was a sign of God's approval of what they did. And that sort of Calvinist notion is clearly a possible way of reading Christianity. And I think that here we get a Muslim notion that if you are good and if you are faithful, then your suffering will be rewarded by restoration and more, just as in the book of Job. What do you think? I I think that fits. There's um, uh, the plainly psychological, like if these were events that were happening to somebody, right? The plainly psychological explanations uh, are odd. So we have a man <laughs> sleeping in a mosque, right? He's suddenly awakened. He's not awakened by robbers passing through, right? Um, uh, either way, right? Uh, he's awakened by a man who accuses him of being a robber and beating him. He holds him in in the dungeon for three days and then interrogates him and f- presumably believes his story that he is not a robber, but rather a pilgrim in a certain sense, right? And after mm-hmm. having kept him in a dungeon for three days and beaten him um, and or rudely awoken him, says... Go on home, pal, and gives him some money. Uh, perhaps because he's feeling bad about beating this guy unjustly. Um, <laughs> and also because we don't need no homeless in Cairo. <laughs> <laughs> right. uh, so uh, the man returns home. He says, you know, I had a dream, too, uh, that you would find your fortune in in your own town. Go go back home. Right? We, no, he doesn't say that. No, he doesn't say that. But if this was a um, real event... <laughs> Oh, oh, I see. <laughs> right. Um, he, he, he can say, you know, go home, find your uh, fortune there. Um, and he goes home, and it's it's coincidental that he gives the exact right instructions. It's also possible that buried under every uh, fountain in every, every village is a fortune. Um, oh, I like that. It's, it's very possible, right? Um, now, uh, in this, metaphorically. Yes, yes, exactly. Um, and what's so interesting to me is, like, as you say, we don't know why his fortune passed away, right? But it sounds like it died. Um, I'll just read that again. <laughs> it, it is related also that a man of Baghdad was possessed of ample riches and great wealth, but his wealth passed away, and his state changed, and he became utterly destitute and could not obtain sustenance save by laborious exertion. Um, we don't know. So, like, maybe he he's a gambling addict, right? Maybe he, he gave the money to his son to uh, go to school. <laughs> maybe his wife liked too many jewelry. It doesn't really say, right? But what we do know is that it definitely went away. My first idea is that he he was a dream digger. <laughs> He would walk in his sleep and get a shovel and bury his his treasure <laughs> in the fountain, uh, under the fountain. And he didn't know that he was doing that because he was asleep. Um, now, that is ridiculous, but it's as about as ridiculous as the idea that uh, under every... Uh, 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 under every fountain, under every hill, 
uh, is a treasure. And this is um, this is actually uh, very childlike thinking because I just recently read um, the Adventures of Mark, uh, not Adventures of Mark Twain, Adventures of Tom Sawyer, and mm-hmm. uh, Tom Sawyer and Huck Finn go uh, looking for pirate treasure, and they you know. They think about where a pirate would bury treasure, and they find an island in the middle of the Mississippi, and they start digging, and they're very shocked that they can't find <laughs> a treasure. They keep digging, and they say, "You know, we just keep digging." Um, and then they say, "Well, you know, uh, they would they might put it in a haunted house," and so they go to a haunted house, um, and lo and behold, they find <laughs> a treasure in the haunted house, and uh, just as they're digging for it. Three robbers come in looking for the treasure they buried, right? So we've got this sense that uh, in universal mythology of the human mind, dreams uh, and stories are kind of the same thing, right? (laughs) If we we pose the idea that this is possible, it's possible that it's possible. And we get to choose in stories, unlike in real life – you know, as a little kid, I would definitely believe that if I just dug in this hole on the beach uh, a little <laughs> more, I will definitely get a pirate treasure. Turns out the uh, pirates didn't actually bury their treasure. They, As soon as they got it, they immediately spent it. <laughs> there was no burying. It's all Treasure Island, right? It's all Treasure <laughs> Island. Interesting. You know, uh, there's, there's another, I think, uh, widespread psychological uh theme here and that's the same one we see in the wizard of oz uh with dorothy saying oh i'm home i'm home mm-hmm. uh, you know props morphology the folktale shows us that there are really two basic notions there's and and so does joseph campbell i mean there are these stories of journey and then there's stories of journey and return there is the iliad and there is the odyssey mm-hmm. and in this story, the, the, the man of Baghdad needs the help of suffering in order to recognize, which he gets in a mosque. Mm-hmm. He needs the help of suffering in order to recognize that his real riches are at home, that deep in the ground at home, resting on that is a fountain that can sustain him. Mm-hmm. And so... You're right. This is something that that kids understand. But I think adults, just as you're saying, and I think you're right, kids think, oh, if I just dig well enough or if I look, you know, if I hold my breath, I'll get an insight, Mm -hmm. whatever bargaining the kids do. I think that's right. But I think adults who, after all, have passed through childhood and have thought about going out and being on their own and being independent they're the ones who need to learn, you know what, maybe it was better off at home after all. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and this story caters to that. There's another aspect of this that I sort of suggested I would like to just mention. Um, I don't know Arabic, as I said. I have no idea if these words are, you know, how close they are to the original. I'm not entirely sure that the original is close to the original. Like Homer, you know, these things get accreted. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but surely what we have in the West is 
are translations of what they have in the East, which is whatever is left over after the historic process of gathering these diverse tales. Um, but the, the name of this that we have in this translation is a dream, mm-hmm. whereas Borges' translation is called Historia de los Dos que Signaron. The sto- history, if it were story, it would have been Cuenta, the history of the two who dreamed. Mm-hmm. Now, you, it's hard to have two titles at once, but I would like to suggest this. If you look at this as the history of two who dreamed, then there are two different stories going on here. That is, there is the one dream, go to Cairo and find your fortune, and there's the other dream somewhere in Baghdad. You don't have to go there, of course. It's just letting you know somewhere in Baghdad, in a fountain, under a fountain, in a certain house, in a certain district, there's mm-hmm. a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Um, two different dreams, two different people. That's if you take a secular view of this. It's also what happens if you take the normal ontological view that Borges does, where two people are inextricably involved in each other's lives, that somehow mystically they are Mm -hmm. engaged with each other. Mm -hmm. So you need to see them as two in order for you to understand how extraordinary that is. And the last line here is, this was a wonderful coincidence. (laughs) And I don't know what the word coincidence means here. I know in, in my life, coincidence means... It was just an accident that the two things happened at the same time. But etymologically, coincidence means two things that happen at the same time. So it could be that they were a wonderful coincidence. This is a miracle. So that by calling this a dream, whose dream would it be if it is a dream? (laughs) It's not the dream of the man from Baghdad. And it's not the dream of the man from Cairo. No. The entire story is the dream of Allah, Mm. who is to be exalted. This is a way of looking at this as a a statement in favor of the significance of the religion. Um, What is that line? Allah's name is, whose name be exalted. And I would like to suggest that that if we are all, and Borges talks about this in many, many of his stories, if, if we are all figures in someone else's dream, the man from Baghdad and the man from Cairo are both figures in what is ultimately a restorative dream by Allah, by Allah for the faithful. I, I in, in your... Uh analysis there i i just suddenly flashed um the last borges story we did was death in the compass and Mm -hmm. it's it's about two two men locked in mortal combat uh throughout reincarnations (laughs) um (laughs) it's very iconic there's uh, life is uh, the labyrinth of life um finds them tracking each other um (laughs) And uh, that's sort of what happens here. We've got two dreamers uh, interacting on their various life courses. And uh, and then the only person who can see the larger picture is the reader uh, uh, from God's point of view. Indeed. Which is why when the story is done being told, it 
rests on us because there's always more to say. Thanks very much for listening. And remember, you can always freely access the materials discussed on these podcasts by going to sffaudio.com and clicking on the link for Reading Short and Deep. If you enjoyed this podcast, consider becoming a patron at patreon.com forward slash sffaudio.com.